You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey baddies, this is Tiana from the podcast Next Door Villain. I'm coming on to say that Katie and Nathan say some strong villainous language like swear words from time to time in this episode. So be warned. Mwahaha. And by the way, if you love Katie and Nathan's podcast, you might love mine too. In Next Door Villain, Joe and I relate to and empathize with your favorite fictional villains from TV shows and movies. By hearing us spit out some villainous discussion and literary art about villains like Harley Quinn, Freddy Krueger, Krampus, Lord Farquaad, and many more, you might view villainy in a whole different way. But for now, enjoy this episode of Queen's Podcast. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. And we are back. Margaret Beaufort, part two. Nathan. Yes. Part de part of Margaret de. Beaufort. Yes, that was that was beautiful. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, Nathan, it is almost the holidays. This episode uh, is going to come out the day before Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And I figured, hopefully, if you're if you've got a long journey ahead of you, uh, traveling somewhere for Thanksgiving, hopefully, this episode gives you something to listen to. Do you have any fun Thanksgiving uh, traditions? But besides coming over to my house and drinking too much wine. Um, not really. I usually just spend it with the fam. Um, this year I'm not doing that. I'm going to New York City instead and going to enjoy myself, uh, thoroughly. Yes. Uh, I, we are having a couple of people over here. The World Cup is during Thanksgiving this year. Oh, Lord, it's gonna get rowdy over there. It's gonna get rowdy. We're making way too much food. Um, so when you get back from New York, you're welcome to stop by. Our fridge will be full for the following week. Come and eat some of it. But otherwise, yeah, you know what, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for Margaret Beaufort. (laughs) I'm thankful for Margaret Beaufort, too, because we have a lot to cover today, so we're just going to jump right on in. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, you're going to want to make sure to do that first. (laughs) Yes, I would not, you know, if you're not familiar with this time period, I would not jump into this one because we are not going to really do a recap. We're just going to jump right into the story. So... Margaret is living with her husband, Stafford. Henry Stafford, but we're just calling him Stafford because there's too many Henrys yes. in this story. Some call her, some call him her third husband. Some say her second. But who, who's counting? She's, <laughs> she's 15 and maybe she's had three husbands. You know, whatever. <laughs> but at this time, her life actually seems happy, except for that her son, 
Henry Tudor isn't living with her. He's been given as ward to this huge Yorkist supporter, a dude named William. William Hebert. There's nothing to indicate that Hebert wasn't perfectly nice to little baby Henry, but they're in a civil war. So, I mean, that that's gotta be the whole reason that Henry Tudor is with a you know, somebody as a ward is to be like, Hey Margaret, you better act right so that your baby stays safe, you know? And I'm sure she hated this arrangement. Right. Um, Over the next few years, it was just a bad time to have the last name of Beaufort. Her cousin, the Duke of Somerset, had fucked all of that right up for Mm. everyone named Beaufort. Uh, He hated the new king. So he started funneling information to the deposed Lancastrian queen, a lady named Margaret of Anjou, who we'll most certainly cover one day. I think we've had a lot of people Um, request her. Oh, most certainly we'll cover her one day for sure. So the new Yorkist king, Edward IV, found out that the Duke of Somerset, the, the most powerful Beaufort running around out there at the time, had been, you know, playing him. Edward wanted to ensure that the Lancastrians understood that, like, oh, you fuck around. I'm going to be nice to you guys until you fuck around. And then once you fuck around, you're going to find out. And that's exactly what happened. And the Duke of Somerset was beheaded. So historically, not a great time to be the Duke of Somerset either, because his dad had also been beheaded. Like, it's just not a good time for the Beauforts, like you said. No, sounds like it. But one good thing for Margaret is that her husband's family were growing closer to Edward IV's good side. So, yay. Uh, The Staffords were just viewed really positively by the king. So she had that going for her. And she hoped that it would be enough to keep her son safe, too. Uh, Though her son was in Wales and she was in England. So she didn't really get to see him all that often, but we know that she wrote to him often. And when I say often, I mean, like, obsessively. The The defining personality trait of Margaret Beaufort is that she loves this baby boy of hers. It is the one constant in her life that she absolutely loves this little baby. And so she wrote letters and letters, like, constantly to mm-hmm. him. But she did have to be careful what she wrote because... I'm sure she knew that the Yorkists were definitely reading all her letters. Oh, one, hundy. Um, yeah. Of course. So she, I'm sure she's writing in code or, you know, yeah. being very but then again, he's also, he's also a baby. So, like, I'm, she's not like she's plotting with him anyway, you know, so. Yeah, not yet. Um, yeah, but not yet. <laughs> <laughs> in 1466, four years since she had last seen her baby boy, she was invited to come see him in person. And... Can you imagine how happy she was for this? Oh, I'm going to see my baby! Yeah, right? Because he would have been about five when she last saw him. And now he's about nine years old. And kids, we all know, from five until nine, they change so much in that time. So So much. Yeah, and I'm like, sure, she's wondering, you know... Is he even going to know who she is? Will he recognize her? Will I recognize him? Yeah. Sadly, we don't really know anything about this reunion. But we have to assume it was a happy one. Because, like, if if really anything had gone down, then I think we'd know about the drama. So we have to assume it was just a nice nice week with her son in Wales. 
Not trying to foreshadow anything or anything, but this is probably the last time in a very long time she has a low anxiety, chill week with her son. (laughs) Okay, so not much really happens for the next few years until the Earl of Wardick enters the chat. So, Ding dong! Yeah, right? Wardick calling. <laughs> <laughs> that is the um, Earl of Warwick, you know, the quote-unquote kingmaker that we always talk about. So yeah. we go into this in way more detail in our Elizabeth Woodville episode, but, but he's basically a flip-flopper. He f- mm-hmm. flips sides every now and then, and after a few years of peace, the Wars of the Roses is popping again, and it's all-out war. Yeah, we're going to do some ser- serious skimming. Again, because this is like our fourth episode from the Wars of the Roses time. But what you need to know for Maggie's story. The old king, Henry VI, is back on the throne. This probably wasn't in anyone's best interest. If you remember, he- he's not mentally well. He's not strong. I don't know how lucid he is back on the throne. We mentioned, you know, that he had some serious mental issues. So he's definitely not running the show. It was really Wardick, a.k.a. Warwick, and Henry VI's wife, the previously mentioned Margaret of Anjou. They would have been the ones pulling the strings. They would have been the ones running the show. So what does this mean for Maggie B? It means that Jasper Tudor is back in town. (gasps) The boy is back in town. The boy is back in town. (laughs) <laughs> the boys are back in town. Okay, I didn't know. I, I was getting it confused with my boyfriend's back. My boyfriend's back, back, back in and it's going to be Hey, la, hey, la. <laughs> anyway. So Jasper Tudor is back. <laughs> and he, he takes over as ward of baby Henry, who would have been about 13 now. And he brings baby Henry back to court in London. <gasps> Can you imagine? Maggie's just like, oh, my God, my son. My son is at court. He's in London. He's in London now. I can go see him. She is. She is just running to London town as fast as her little bitty feet can carry her. And she was reunited with her son once again. And I feel like this needs another musical interlude. Reunited and it feels so good. (laughs) (laughs) So it must be so weird. Not only did she see her son from five until nine... Now it's nine and not again until he was 13. So big age gaps there. So he's really developing mentally, physically, being a pretty much a whole different kid by that point. Those are some formative years that she's missed. So she's just like, I've got some like time to make up for, like so much lost time. But something worth noting, Maggie's husband, Stafford, and his family, they had completely flipped to York. Like, when they got married, both of them were Lancastrian. But now, the Stafford family is completely York, and they're nervous about flipping back to Lancaster because they're like, and I don't think this is a dumb move, I think this is thinking forwardly, they're like, y'all, Henry VI isn't well. And honestly, Edward IV was a lot more popular with the people in London than Henry VI mm-hmm. was. And so they're just yeah. kind of looking at this being like, I don't know about flipping. This seems like, a, like, this seems risky. No, I agree. Yeah. 100. So it's totally possible that Stafford was like, hey, Maggie, maybe we don't run back to court quite so fast. But 
Of course, she would have been like, um, mm. my baby is in London. What part I, of this are you not getting? I feel like <laughs> you're not listening to me. My Henry's here. <laughs> like, yeah, very yes, I love him a lot more her. than you. Yeah, yes, super very. on brand. So her one consistent personality trait is, I want to be where my baby is. <laughs> I want to be where my baby is. Now, supposedly, while they were there, Henry VI had Maggie and Henry Tudor over for dinner. And the legend goes, which, I don't know, take it with a grain of salt. The legend goes that Henry VI, at dinner, like, looks up from his meal and points to Henry Tudor and goes, that kid's going to be king one day. I mean, that's the story? Yeah, what do you think? I don't know. Uh, Henry VI, at the time, did have a son, Edward. Um, So, surely... He would have been promoting his own son oh, as the next king, but yeah. that's not what Maggie heard. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she literally would forever tell everyone, hey, um, you know, the king, uh, Henry VI, he said my son was going to be king. Next. So, yeah, mm, mm, yeah, so I don't know if maybe that was apocryphal. I don't know if <laughs> Maggie may have straight up made that up. I don't know. Right. Or... Or maybe, you know, maybe the king was having one of his uh, episodes and thought he was looking at his own son. I don't know. Unfortunately, this really, this, you know, family bliss wasn't meant to last because after a couple months, Edward IV strolls back into town. And Jasper Tudor, he's not waiting to see what happens. He grabs little baby Henry and they're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. And they head back to France or Brittany or Scotland or somewhere where they had friends, somewhere where they weren't going to be in danger. And apparently this was a struggle for Maggie's marriage because Stafford is like, girl, look at Henry VI. He is not well. <laughs> and <laughs> period. Maggie, yeah, period <laughs> statement, declarative sentence. Absolutely. Um, and Maggie dug her heels in and she's like, He's our king. Ah! (laughs) And this is the part of the story where we see how hard-headed Margaret Beaufort could be. For real. She was hard-headed. Because again, I mean, if you're just looking at it objectively, one king is healthy and one king is not. One king is popular and one king is not. So when Margaret Beaufort's cousins, so she's got these few remaining Beaufort cousins, they come to Stafford and they're like, um, we need men to join our army to fight the Yorkist army. Are you with us or what? And Stafford's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm sorry. And he had a big army. He, his dad or his dad or his brother, whoever was the Duke of Buckingham. So he had lots of army at his disposal, but he's just like, no, I'm sorry. But historically the Yorks win more battles than the Lancasters. And I, I want to win. I want to be on the winning side. What do you think about that? Yeah. Can you really blame him, though? Yeah. You know, when you're responsible for the lives of people in an army, you need to believe in what you're doing. You need to believe that you have a strong army and that you're not going to lose. But (laughs) our girl Maggie did not see it that way. Mm -mm. She, She saw this as an insult. So... Not a happy time in their marriage, but no. don't worry, it 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 doesn't last much longer. Spoiler <laughs> alert! I kind of respect him for that because whenever you're leading the army, you're responsible for those people's lives. 
I can't be mad at him for going with the Yorkist side. Even Maggie didn't see it that way, but I can't be mad at him for it. Yeah. So all this came to a head at a battle called Tewksbury, y'all. Fucking bloodbath for the Lancastrians. Edward IV is fucking done with these people. He has been trying his entire reign to be, like, fair and, like, to bring everyone together. But he's fucking done. Prince of Wales, dead. Remaining Beaufort fam, Beaufort men, dead. Bunch of people went into a church, tried to declare sanctuary. He's like, fuck your sanctuary, dead. And then, not long after the battle, Edward IV comes back to the throne, and then Henry VI dies mysteriously in his prison cell. Mm -hmm. Official cause of death is heartbreak. Um, (sighs) Though, actual cause of death was probably being fucking murdered. Yeah, that's that's, that's (laughs) what happened there. Uh, But... Margaret, at this point, would have been totally fucked, except that her husband had fought for the Yorkist in this battle. And even though he had initially survived the Battle of Tewksbury, uh, he later died of the wounds that he got there. So, husband number two and a half? <laughs> dead. 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 <laughs> Body count. Prince Wales, dead. Bovertman, dead. I mean, like, all of her family, all of her male family... Pretty much all of her family just completely dead. So almost all she's got in the world is her baby. Mm-hmm. That so her and Stafford, no children, because um, she probably couldn't have any more children due to her um, rough childbearing with Henry. So, but because they had no children, he left her everything. So she is a very, very, very wealthy woman. And one because of how her husband died should, by all accounts, be on good terms with the king. I mean, her husband died from fighting for his side. So he should be able to trust her, right? Mm -hmm. Right? No! This seems like (laughs) a good place to take a break. (laughs) Yes, let's top off our drinks and we'll be right back. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Wheel! 
Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. So Maggie is a widow again. Again. <laughs> and I do wonder how much she was grieving her husband at this time. Like, we'll get into it more in a minute, but they had been married for a long time and they seemed to have genuinely liked each other. Yeah. Like every year they would celebrate their wedding anniversary with a big party, which is refreshing. I think that's yeah. so sweet. But she was probably pissed off at him when he died. <laughs> yeah, because he flipped, you know, and she yep. she viewed that as betrayal. And I feel like I feel like Maggie Maggie B is a ride or die bitch. And if you aren't ride or die like she is, I think I bet I think this bitch could hold a grudge. Is what I'm mm-hmm. getting at. Edward the Fourth wants to reconcile with Margaret Beaufort, and he says like, "Hey." You know, let's put the past behind us. Let's start over. New reign, new everything. Tell your son he can come home. And if he apologizes and, you know, pledges fealty, um, I'll give him a pardon. He can have some titles. There's even some stories that he said he can marry one of my daughters. It probably wouldn't have been Elizabeth York at this point. It probably been one of his, like, younger daughters or something. But he was just like, bring him back. We'll make friends. And Maggie's like, oh, okay, I'm going to tell him he should come home. And then, like, like, LOL. Right. Absolutely <laughs> not. She is not doing that. Yeah. And instead, she writes them, quote, unquote, I don't trust this motherfucker. That's, Mm-mm. I mean, that is exactly what Direct she quote. Said. I believe those records survive to this day that mm-hmm. Margaret Beaufort did not trust this shifty motherfucker. Yes. Eddie. So- Y'all either stay exactly where you are or go even further away. I don't believe this guy that he doesn't want y'all dead. And, I mean, she has every right to have trust issues uh, during yeah. this time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and given how desperate she usually was to be with her son, I have to believe that she believed that they were in real danger with, like, every fiber of her being. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, in any other circumstance, if they would have been, like... In- invite your son to come here. I'm sure she would have been like, yay, my baby, I love him. But yeah, if she's like, go away, then yeah, she must have had. Though I don't know, like, I don't know. I'm conflicted on if I think that, do you think Edward the Fourth would have actually hurt him? Or do you think it was like a ploy? Or do you think it really was a peace offering? What do you think? I'm not sure. I, I, I don't I trust Edward the Fourth either. I, I yeah. honestly don't, because it's been a bloodbath up until this point, And yeah. I don't. I wouldn't trust him. Maybe the Edward the Fourth before Wardick fucked him over, but not yeah. this Edward the Fourth. Okay, okay. Let us listeners let us know what y'all think, because um, I go back and forth on that. So the fact that the Tudor men never came back to England made Edward look at Maggie with distrust. Now he's like, "What the fuck did you tell them? I was I was offering peace. What the what the fuck are you like? Wh- what kind of shit are you trying to start?" So both of them are just looking each other up and down. And, like, Margaret is writing on ye old burn book, Don't Trust Edward the Fourth. 
he is a fugly slut. And Edward is like, you can't sit with us. <laughs> they are mean girling all over each other. <laughs> yes. So Maggie's like, okay, I need to get married <laughs> again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> and if I want to ensure my safety, ensure my son's safety, and ensure that the king doesn't take all my money or, you know, find a reason to put me in prison or something, Ooh. she needs a friend on the inside, but someone that she can trust. Yes. So let's meet husband number three or four, depending, again, depending on how you're counting. Um, and his name is Thomas Stanley. I find this guy really interesting. The thing about T. Stan, Tommy Stanley, that would have been appealing to Margaret is throughout this entire Civil War, there's all these people that are always flipping sides and like always like killing each other and stuff and getting on everyone's bad side. Thomas Stanley has somehow gone through all these years without really ever making any enemies. He is friends with people on both sides. Everyone seemed to like him, and if not fully trust him, trust him enough to not really have him in bad graces on both sides. Somehow this man always came out on top. And do you, can you see the appeal of that to Margaret Beaufort? Yeah, that's the kind of dude that she needs on her side, right? Yeah. And the thing that Thomas Stanley liked about Margaret was that she was fucking loaded. Loaded! This bitch was so rich! I mean, she She's probably... rich, he, bitch. He probably liked other things about her, but I'm sure the money didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even <laughs> before her most recent marriage, she was rich. But now she's got so much money and land. And, you know, Stanley's not poor, but... He's not Margaret Beaufort rich. Exactly. He also probably secretly loved, since he does like to keep one foot on each side of the line. He always likes to have somebody in each party. He probably also likes that, hey, this this woman's uh, son might have a claim to the throne one day. So <laughs> I'm sure that did not go unnoticed by Thomas Stanley right. whenever he was considering his marriage to Margaret Beaufort. Um, not a dumb move. Not a dumb move. Yeah. There is nothing to support, though, that this was a romantic marriage in any way. Mm -hmm. It was more than likely just for strategy. This is also noteworthy for two reasons. Number one, Margaret arranged this herself. She reached out to him. She negotiated on her own marriage contract. She is in control of this for the first time in her life. I so, love this. Because her yes. first marriage, she was one or two, or something like that. Um, the second marriage, she was was negotiated when she was nine and happened when she was 12. The next one, when she was, like, 13. So, you know, she didn't have a whole lot of... She had little to absolutely no agency in those other ones. So I love yeah. that now she's a grown-ass woman and she's doing it for herself, you know? What do you yes. think about that? That's awesome. So, yep. and number two, she didn't have to wait a year after Stafford died, which was customary for the time after he the death of a spouse. So, people kind of so people consider that extremely disrespectful. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, even now, even now, like if someone marries like within a year of their husband's death, their spouse's death, it's kind of like over. Like, um, so I don't know if that just means. 
Do you think it means that she wasn't mourning him at all? Do you think she was so butthurt by him fighting for the Yorks? Or do you think it was just like, well, he's dead. What am I supposed to do? Because I, I keep going back and forth because we know this bitch holds a grudge. But they did have a happy marriage up until that. I I think it's more strategy, honestly. You think so? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, she, she doesn't strike me as a super, super overly sentimental woman. So, yeah, she could just be like, well, I need a, yeah, I need a partner in crime here. So, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So, though this wasn't like a romantic relationship, these two people made great partners. Mm-hmm. They were a lot closer in age Thank than God. she had been with her previous husband. So he was 37. She's 28 at the time of their marriage. So and much better than 12 and 26. Yeah, so much better. <laughs> and she seems to have trusted him to guide them on political decision. And he was like, hey, girl, you need to make friends with the king. Even if you don't want to, you gotta, you know, fake it till you make it, baby girl. Yeah, 100%. He would ask her questions, like financial questions. Like he would run all of the things like with, like I'm better at making friends at court, but he would all, but he would let her run like the financial stuff with like all their estates and stuff. So I love that. So it was like, it was actually like a partnership, you know? So Stanley started making her come be friends with the king, but more importantly for our story with the queen, our historical bay. Liza Woodville. We absolutely love Elizabeth Woodville. Liza with an L. Love her. And it worked. A few years later, Maggie is documented as playing like a major role in the christening of one of the king and king's daughters. So I don't think Margaret Beaufort and Elizabeth Woodville were ever like besties, but I think they developed like a respect for each other. Like, look, we are both doing what we can for our survival and the survival of our children. Yeah. So, like, they realize, like, hey, we're not that different, you know? Yeah. So, let's do a time, time warp, warp again. again. Um, we're going <laughs> to jump forward. Because uh, nothing really happens for the next ten years. But but all that changed when King Edward IV died very suddenly. And since we've already covered this in both our Elizabeth Woodville and Elizabeth of York episode, we're going to skim over what happens next because we've talked about this a lot before in older episodes. And maybe, you know, we'll have an episode coming out soon detailing it a little bit more. But Edward IV's brother, Richard of Shakespearean fame, uh, declares himself king and uh, and puts Edward IV's two sons into the Tower of London for quote-unquote safekeeping. Wink. Mm. Not murder. Wink. And <laughs> they were never seen again. Like, uh, so the former queen and her daughters go into hiding. Yeah. So let's discuss the princes in the tower a little bit because it is just this infamous story that everybody kind of gravitates not. towards. Yeah. We so can't not. These two little boys were almost certainly murdered and Everyone then, just like everyone now, assumes their uncle Richard III did it. However, due to shows like The White Queen and books like The Red Queen, a popular theory currently is that Margaret Beaufort actually had these boys murdered so that Henry at that point had a better claim to the throne. Fun fact, this is actually a fairly new theory. Like, um, maybe people whispered it back then, but, like, not to the point where, like, it wasn't even written down until, like, 200 years after Margaret's death. And it really wasn't 
considered, you know, openly until super, super recently. I cannot, I've searched it and I cannot remember where I heard this. Like we were mentioning earlier, the White Queen, the Philippa Gregory novels series are kind of what's repopularized the theory that Margaret Beaufort may have killed the princes in the towers. And so I read this one quote once that was like, um, Philippa Gregory has done to Margaret Beaufort's reputation what Shakespeare did to Richard III's reputation. What do you think Uh, about that comparison? No, that's a pretty accurate comparison. Yeah. So it's just important to remember that historical fiction is fiction. I mean... Think what you want. It's very, it's a very, I mean, I loved those books and I loved that series, but it's fiction. (laughs) Yeah. So now Maggie and her husband were pretty high up at court of Richard III, but man, I wish I could be a fly on the wall and hear those convos between Stanley and Maggie while all this was going on. Because you know these two are scheming. Mm-hmm. You know, they ended up getting Margaret a job as a maid of honor to Richard III's wife. Right? Shifty motherfuckers can sniff out shifty motherfuckers. And Richard never fully trusted Maggie or her husband. So, like, why was why was he, like, letting them have jobs at court like that? What's the old saying? Um, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, it's around this time that it was common knowledge that the princes in the tower were probably not going to be seen again. Mm-mm. And this is when Maggie started writing to Elizabeth Woodville. The two shared a doctor. So, Maggie would call her doctor and be like, <coughs> I'm sick. <laughs> and so he'd come on and check on Maggie and she'd be like, hey, if the uh, Liza Woodville happens to get sick, uh, can you pass this letter to her? You know, some sort of undercover yeah. wink, letter wink. passing. Yeah. Yeah. Like if she happens to have the same cold that I'm ha- that seems to be going around right now. And then Elizabeth Woodville, you know, like the next day would be like, I do happen to have that same cold that's going around. And the doctor would come to her and pass on the letter. Eventually, like the gist of what Margaret is getting at in some of these letters is like, look, I'm super sorry. It super sucks. Your sons are never going to be king. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend. What if Richard wasn't king? What if my son was king and your daughter was queen? Maybe we can make that happen. What do you think? (coughs) Oh, (laughs) <laughs> Are you asking me what I think? I don't know. <laughs> Go with it. Like, you want me? <laughs> <laughs> this brings us all back, though, to the Maggie killed the princes in the tower theory. So yes. what do you think about that, Katie? I, so I famously um, just agree with ever the most recent conspiracy theory that I've listened to. and But general consensus seems to be that it just seems... So unlikely. Like, does she have the motive? Sure. And she probably did have the opportunity, though I think people think she was more connected at the time than she actually was. Like, her husband was something like governor of London. I don't know. He had some really high, high position. But I don't think anybody would have just listened to what he said willy-nilly, especially if it was like, go kill the princes. And I do think she was hard-headed, and I do think she was motivated, but I don't think she was baby killer motivated. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I tend to agree with that. I think that, yeah, she had all the opportunity in the world to do it, but I don't... 
it's just too far-fetched for me a little bit. I love the theory. It's a great theory to go go. I see why it sold so many books. Yeah, it's a great theory, but I just don't think she would have risked that. um, Yeah. Especially being so close as she was. Yeah, and I mean, and still, like, it's a calculated risk. Like, yeah, if the princes in the tower are gone, um, her son is even closer, but it's still not a guarantee. And so then if you kill these children and you have blood on your hands and it doesn't even, like, how do you live with yourself? Like, I know this was war, but these are two children. I just don't. For someone that loved her son so fiercely, I couldn't see herself, I couldn't see her ordering the deaths of two innocent boys. Because um, these aren't people, th- these aren't like boys, these aren't like men that have been fighting against her son in the Wars of the Roses or anything. These are like a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old boy or something like that. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I'm a sucker for a good conspiracy theory. If you have a compelling documentary or something, send it to me. Maybe you'll change my mind. But right now, I sit in the camp of, she benefited from it, but I don't think she called that shot. Agreed. Okay, let's digest that and let us know what you think. And we're going to take a quick break. Top off my drink and then we'll be back for the rest of the story. Hello, everyone. It's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. And we're back. So despite what we might think today, everyone in England at the time thought Richard III killed them kids, which I tend to agree. And it may have been the air of public opinion that made Maggie make this one huge misstep. And that is getting involved in a plot to overthrow Richard. Yeah. Uh, This was all spearheaded by the Duke of Buckingham, who was Maggie's nephew through her second marriage to Henry Stafford. I feel like I might try to make a family tree to go along with this episode because there's so many like random cousin tie ins. But I feel like I will get dizzy (laughs) because it will be a wreath, not a tree. Yeah, for Um, sure. So the Duke of Buckingham's goal to overthrow Richard is kind of unclear, but either he... Probably what it was is the Duke of Buckingham was probably trying to make himself king, but to get Margaret Beaufort on his side, he was probably telling her, I'm going to overthrow Richard to, so we can make Henry Tudor king. Um, I don't know. The motives, they go back and forth. Historians are kind of confused about this alliance, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Maggie's working with the Duke of Buckingham, trying to raise forces, trying to get... Tudor, Henry Tudor to come back and sending lots and lots of money to Henry Tudor so he can come back and overthrow Richard. Yeah, and people argue when Margaret started to really believe that her son might one day be king. So, <clears throat> without a doubt, at this point, she was like, 
fuck yeah, I'm going to be the mother of the king one day. So she's writing to Henry, like, just get here and we're just going to figure this all out, baby. It's okay. My son is going to be king of fucking England, y'all. However, the Buckingham Rebellion is what important historians often refer to as a big fucking turd sandwich. (laughs) Um, It was, it was, it went nowhere. It was crushed immediately. Uh, Henry Tudor landed in England and then like immediately somebody met him on the coast and was like, abort, abort. And so he turned the fuck around and Buckingham was executed like immediately like and lucky for margaret she got off really easy on this because easy yeah look at this y'all this is treason is straight up treason if she was a man she would have been executed no doubt Mm -hmm. so okay the one time in history being a woman has worked in in a woman's favor okay (laughs) the one time the one time you Um, didn't get executed (laughs) Yeah, right. Richard was smart enough to know that if he executed her, it would be a scandal that this, you know, his reputation just couldn't handle it. So he ended up kind of showing her a little bit of mercy. I mean, not executing her is mercy. And not throwing her in a dungeon is mercy. Uh, What he did more or less has put her under house arrest with her husband as the jailer. So he stripped her of all her lands and titles and gave them to her husband, which, I mean... He's still the one uh, she's living with. Whatever. And he's like, don't let her have any visitors. Don't let her write any letters. Don't let her have any agency. She is a prisoner. She is your prisoner. But Maggie kept writing letters. (laughs) Maggie kept sending money to Henry Tudor. Did he know? What do you think? Yeah, for sure. So she kept writing to her son and Stanley just looked the other way and she kept writing to elizabeth woodville she kept writing to henry which this takes a lot of balls because i'm sure if she got caught her husband would have been like nope she tricked me to do it big clit energy right yes big clit energy big titty energy i love it because you're absolutely right like like i was saying her husband had enough plausible deniability like he was letting her do it but he probably told her like i'm gonna let you do this but if you get caught i'm gonna pretend i'm throwing you under the bus they didn't have buses back then. I'm throwing you <laughs> under the carriage, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, if she would have gotten caught, you don't hear about a lot of people getting let off for treason twice, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so it, if she would have gotten caught, like, oh, I don't think she would have come out of it with her head intact. Or she may have not, like... Noble women didn't really get executed, but she may have, like, lived the rest of her life in a dungeon or something. Mm -hmm. But she's determined, and her and Elizabeth Woodville are both like, we are going to get that guy, we're going to get that baby killer, we're going to combine our houses, and we're going to end this fucking war. Are we just all fucking sick of this goddamn War of the Roses? Yeah, let's end it. Right? And Richard, though, wasn't dumb, and he knew that Henry was coming, and he knew war was coming again Again. (laughs) so he goes to maggie's husband stanley and is like you're gonna be on my side when it comes to battle right and then stanley's like um new phone who dis uh wrong number Uh, he just couldn't commit he wouldn't say yes he wouldn't say no he just acted very torn he said you know i'll be there with my army 
but really wouldn't clarify whose side he was fighting for. <laughs> my army will be there. And Richard's like, on my side, right? And he's like, we will be there. I'm like, oh, could you please clarify which side you'll be on? There. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this all came to a head at a battle called the Battle of Bosworth, which is a very, very, probably one of, like, even if you don't know shit, even if you don't know shit about fuck about uh, historical battles, you maybe have heard the title. Battle of Ballsworth. It's very famous. Stanley stayed on, like, this hill, not on either side of the battle, until, like, the very, very last minute. It makes such good TV in The White Queen, where it's just like, <laughs> oh, what's gonna happen? Don't read a history book and find out beforehand. And, but then, at the last minute, he joins forces with Henry Tudor, Kills Richard III in battle, the last English king to die in battle. And Stanley picks up Richard's crown off of the ground, puts it on Henry Tudor's head, puts it on his son's stepson's head, and it's like, you the king now, baby. Uh, and can you imagine how relieved Maggie would have been? Oh like, think about it. What if it went the other way? Oh, she <laughs> you know? would have so Yeah, she would have been in a bad place, but thankfully it didn't. And now Best she's the mother to the king. Yes. And it said that she weeped openly with joy at his coronation. Now, finally, they get to be together. Her son, in a not weird way, was the love of her life. And yes. now they finally got to see each other every day. I love that. For the entirety of her son's reign, she was by far his most trusted advisor. And I love that he wasn't like, because I feel like there had been some men in history that was like, I'm not going to listen to a girl. But he, he never, he was always like, well, I got to run this past my mom first. I got to see what mom says about it. I I can't trust it. Like, he, there's letters that survive from him that are just like, I cannot trust anybody. Like, I can trust you. You're the only person in the world that I know completely has my best interest at heart. Um, which, I don't blame him for being a little bit paranoid. He has lived his entire life in exile because he thought the Yorks were going to kill him. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame him for being like, my mom's the only person I can trust, you know? Yeah. His mom had believed in him when no one else had, when he had been in exile. His mom has been supporting him emotionally, financially, whatever, his entire life. So I love that he recognized, like, she is a smart woman. She knows the political layout here better than I do. She is clearly my ride and die. She's my number one, and she's who I'm going to go to for advice. I love that. I know. And as we know, Henry VII did marry Elizabeth of York, and this united the houses of Lancaster and York, thus ending the War of the Roses. And finally. That, yeah, finally. <laughs> and that's when Margaret was given the completely made-up title of My Lady the King's Mother. <laughs> and she started signing her letters Margaret R., which was usually held for someone who had been crowned and anointed, but who was about to tell her that she wasn't queen. <laughs> not I'm, not fu- I'm not fucking telling her that she's not, because I think R, does it spell for like Regina? 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 Yeah, <laughs> like Regina. Uh, Regina. Something like that, <laughs> that just means like royal. Though she could, because um, her first title was Countess of Richmond. So if anybody did call her out and be like, you're not anointed, you can't use R, she'd be like, it's for Richmond. But no, it was for royal. We know it. Um, but yeah, I'm not fucking about to tell her she can't use it. You, I think, you know what? She's earned it. 
She has earned it. For the entirety of Henry VII's 24-year reign, she was at the center of everything. How the court dressed, how the royal children were educated. She would would walk so close behind the queen, Elizabeth of York, that it was, like, actually a scandal, because you're supposed to, like, walk a whole step behind, and she would walk, like, a quarter of a step behind. <laughs> it was she's just like, oh, no, I'm I'm up there in the ranking too. Was anybody ever gonna say, hey, you're breaking protocol? Absolutely no. fucking not. <laughs> nope. She asked her husband if he was okay with her taking a vow of chastity and basically them living separately. And again, she quote unquote asked him, but really <laughs> she was telling him. <laughs> this also meant that she got all her lands back in her name and he would have no right to them. But it- since he didn't put up any kind of a fight, he was granted lots of favors from the king. And he and Maggie would end up staying friends for the rest of their life. Yeah, and like, a lot of people doubt they ever had a sexual relationship anyway. So, mm-hmm. eh, what's, he, what's he got to lose? Uh, right. Yeah. We kind of mentioned in episode one how because she took this vow of chastity, people think she lived like a nun. Um, and that's just not the case at all. This woman dressed in the finest, most expensive gowns. Uh, she set she set fashion for the entire court. Like, they, people looked at her, what she was wearing. Um, she wore nicer gowns than Queen Elizabeth, because the queen was much more, not frugal, but, like, just wasn't quite as concerned. Uh, not Margaret, not Margaret R. here. She is like, I am going to look like a queen. She lived in a mansion, And she loved to host parties and gamble and drink really, really expensive wine. And okay, girl, we see you. We see you. (laughs) Yeah, she took a vow of chastity, not a vow of poverty. Big difference there. Exactly. Big difference. I read this one thing. I can't remember where I saw it, but it was like um, she was in the middle of some card game or something. And she was supposed to go like witness. Like she had donated some money to like a college or something. And so she was supposed to go witness the college being open. But she was in the middle of a card game where she had a lot of money at stake. And so she paid for someone to go witness for her. Oh, wow. Wow. I love that she was paying to open colleges because she also, like, patroned a lot of artists and, like, educational houses and stuff like that. I love that she did that. But I also loved that she was like, I'm partying right now. Can, like, somebody else go, like, send my best regards? (laughs) So, like we said earlier, Maggie is very involved in the lives of her grandkids. Everything from their births to education to marriages. You know, in fact, she was a huge part in locking down the Spanish alliance, a.k.a. bringing of Catherine Aragon over to England. She was, you know, big deal of that. Maybe you've heard of her. (laughs) One touching story that actually kind of made me kind of sad. So her granddaughter, the Princess Margaret, was named after her. And that was her favorite grandchild. Because like we've talked about, like in history, people just said who their favorite kids were out loud. And it was fine. So Margaret Tudor was engaged to the King of Scotland. And Maggie B was like, you are not sending that girl over there until she is old enough. Because... I don't trust men not to sleep with these girls until they're old enough. And she was obviously referencing what happened to herself getting pregnant at 12 and the trauma that she went through 
as a pregnant 12 year old. And she was like, I'm not seeing the same thing happen to my granddaughter. Isn't that touching? Isn't that like, so sad, sad I mean, that she had to say it? But like, yeah, but I mean, it's great she, that she stood up for her like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we really cannot stress how much of a staple Maggie was at her son's court. At every royal palace, she had her own quarters. And some, she would even take the queen's rooms that had passageways to the king's. Because, you know, mother and son just like staying up late, drinking wine and playing card games. <laughs> okay. But, and sometimes Elizabeth of York or other courtiers would join them. But sometimes just mother and son. It was like she was making up for all that lost time that she should have had with her only child while he was growing up. Yeah, yeah. They were just really, they just really had an amazing relationship. Sadly, Margaret lived long enough to watch all of her loved ones die. She had two husbands taken from her in the Civil War. One died fighting fighting for Lancaster, and one died fighting for York. She outlived her husband, Stanley. Um, The two had remained great friends. You know, he would come over, play some chess, play some gambling with his wife. So that must have been pretty sad to her. You know, they weren't in love by any account, but it seems like they were pretty good friends. So losing all of those people must have been really sad for her. And even though though they weren't in love, they were probably a little bit trauma bonded. They went through a... They went through shit together, you know, scary shit together um, during the wars. But when her family started dying um, is what really, really got her. When her grandson, Arthur, died, Arthur Tudor, uh, Catherine of Aragon's first husband, his parents, Henry VII and Elizabeth of York, were just too grief-stricken to do anything, to plan anything. They were just, like, depressed. So it was Margaret that jumped in and made plans for the funeral, but then more importantly, made plans for her for the next prince, Prince Henry, the future Henry VIII, to get his education bumped up a bit. Like, we need to make sure this kid is in king school. He's not fit to be king right now. We need to get this boy more educated. Despite her own grief, she knew if she didn't do it, no one was going to do it. Yeah, and then the next year, her daughter-in-law, Elizabeth, died. So Henry was too grief-stricken, so Margaret took over all the planning of Elizabeth's funeral, and it was, uh, it's Maggie's doing it, so it was elaborate. Um, Yeah, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Again, not taking the time to show her own grief, just kind of taking on the role as a leader. I think it might be part of her coping mechanism. Just to get shit done to kind of deal with grief. Um, that's how that's how some people are, you know, whenever uh, keeping yourself busy so you don't fall apart. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. Um, then, after a steady decline in his health after his wife's death, her son, her sole reason for living all these years, died in 1509. He was 52. She was 65. When you see that age difference between mother and son on paper like that at the end of their lives, that's like... That's more like brother-sister age difference. Yeah, that's super duper weird. Oh, yeah. And even with the death of her baby boy, you know, the whole reason that she, like, the reason she was living, her life revolved around him for the last five decades. 
And again, she did not let herself grieve. She was scared as hell that this would bring back the War of the Roses and that this is all going to, you know, regurgitate. But we skimmed over a lot, but only because we've talked about this in other episodes. There were plenty of people that said that they had a claim to the throne at this point. So Maggie just went into, like, turbo mode. She was like, hell no. We got to get Henry VIII coronated. We got to get him anointed. We need to get him on the throne. And once again, despite her grief, she assumed, like, we have to assume that her grief was soul-crushing at this point. But she is planning the coronation of the next king. And at the same time, the funeral of her only son. And... Yeah, at the coronation, she plays, like, the, besides the king, she is, like, the prominent role in the funeral, too. Or in the um, coronation, too. Definitely not a funeral. No. (laughs) (laughs) And her grandson, Henry VIII, leaned on her for the coronation heavily. I mean, he's young. What, What do I do? Who do I look for? He's like, you'll be there to make sure I do it right. And she's like, yeah, baby. We got this. (laughs) We got this. We're going to do this. Yeah. So it was over. And now she's like, oh, I can finally go rest. This timeline kills me. Like, I teared up reading this the first time. So her son, Henry, died April 21st, 1509. Her grandson, Henry, had his coronation June 24th, 1509. And now that that is all done... And she has seen a peaceful transfer of power. She died June 29th, 1509. That is just over. That is two months and a week after the death of her son, Henry. And it just seems like she was like, well, that, that's what I was here for. That's what I was on this earth for. And now I can, now I can finally, because when has she ever rested this entire time? Never. She's like, no, I, I'm done. That's all I was here for. What a fucking life. I know. Like, her legacy is huge. I mean, obviously, the Tudor dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> Without her, they wouldn't be there. Uh, you talked about this earlier. She founded schools and colleges, some that actually still exist today. She was a huge supporter of this, like, newfangled invention that you may have heard of called the printing press. <laughs> maybe, maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've, uh, maybe we've all had books and so have enjoyed the fruits of her labor there as well. And yeah, she just changed how people did things at the English court for generations and generations to come. And hey, however long later, 500, 600 years later, we are all still obsessed with her. So, so let's raise a glass to our girl, glass. Maggie. We love you. Thank you for all of this crazy story. Like, we wouldn't oh have God. even the crazier stories that come after with Oh, my you. God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope she, I hope we did her justice. I hope she's looking down on us now being like, that'll do. That'll I do. I like that. That'll do, pig. That'll do. That'll do, pig. Am I the pig there? (laughs) No, I'm I'm clearly the pig. (laughs) I hope she's being like, thank you for saying I didn't kill them them babies. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) All right, Nathan. Well, I will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Cheers, bitches. Bye, guys. Bye.